Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. An ordained minister has decided to give up God for a year. How the heck do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor what i'm most worried about right now is figuring out how i can live openly and honestly i am finally free to be me i have no idea how to find friends or become a part of a community that's not religious what does life look like after church after religion after god that's you know that that's it in a nutshell this is the life after god podcast a conversation on the space between belief and unbelief and beyond with your host, Ryan Bell. Hey, welcome back to the Life After God podcast. My name is Ryan Bell and I'm your host. Thanks so much for tuning in today and spending this time with us. I have a great show for you again today. Uh, my guest is my friend Galen Broadus, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a minute. Um, you probably, well, maybe you didn't, you probably noticed that we didn't have an episode last week and you were probably super sad that you didn't get to hear from me. And I know it's rough when there's not a life after God podcast. Uh, Becca made fun of me and said, how's everybody going to get along without this? And yeah, you probably did just fine, right? Uh, maybe you didn't even notice that we didn't have a podcast last week. Uh, but alas, we did not. But I'm back. I'm back. This is episode 38, and I'm super excited about a lot of stuff that's still coming up. But I've had a lot of stuff going on in my life and uh, some good stuff. And at the end of the show, after my interview with Galen, I'll, if you're interested, you can stick around and I'll tell you a little bit of what's going on with me personally. Uh, good stuff for the most part. And, you know, of course, life, life throws us some challenges and I'll, I'll just share in general terms, uh, about that. So, um, stick around at the end if you want to, want to get the, the update. But today I'm talking to Galen Broadus. First met Galen on uh, Facebook and I've gotten to know some people really, really well on Facebook that I've still never met in person. And it's it's uh, a strange uh, world that we live in these days, but you know, real, you know, satisfying friendships can develop over social media. I'm sure the same has happened for you. And Galen's one of those individuals that I've uh, come to really respect and uh, trust and appreciate his perspective. He is a writer and occasional secular activist. He is the son of a Baptist minister and was raised in a variety of different Baptist churches in rural Illinois and was involved in music ministry in his 20s. Uh, and then he uh, lost his Christian faith and became an atheist. And he's going to tell you a little bit about that journey in our conversation. Um, since leaving Christianity and theism, Galen's been writing about his journey out of faith and the new waters he's still navigating as an atheist, uh, especially as it relates to his marriage. His wife is, is still a Christian, and uh, he has some really insightful things to say about that relationship and how they've worked on 
their relationship and made it made it succeed. Galen also blogs on the Pathios Network, where my Year Without God blog is. His is entitled Across Rivers Wide. And uh, he there in his blog attempts to open up some avenues for dialogue with multiple perspectives, as well as talking about his background and his journey out of faith. Uh, Galen's also a certified celebrant, which means that if you need a wedding done or a funeral or any other uh, types of sort of life celebrations that clergy would typically attend to, Galen is one of a growing group of people who are uh, certified. His his uh, certification comes from the Center for Inquiry, and so he uh, he is capable and and ready to do weddings and funerals and other life uh, sort of life stage celebrations. Uh, he writes, uh, among other things, atheist love songs as well. And uh, I wish I had remembered to ask him to perform one of his love songs, um, but uh, maybe another time. So uh, without any further delay, uh, here's my conversation with Galen. And as I said, if you want to stick around afterwards, I'll share a little bit more about what's going on with me. Thanks so much and enjoy the conversation. Hey, Galen, welcome to the Life After God podcast. Hey, Ryan, it's great to be here. Man, it's uh, good to finally uh, catch up with you in voice. I mean, we've only ever really communicated over Facebook, so this is this is awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to finally have the conversation with you. And I think, you know, I first uh, encountered you uh, on, online during my year without God, and uh, you were mm-hmm. someone that, uh, you know, I became friends with on Facebook pretty quickly, and... Um, through my Pathios blog, and we got to uh, to talking a little bit about, and you would comment on various things about what I was going through. Mm-hmm. What 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 are your recollections? Just if, if I could ask about you know those early days of my uh, little social experiment. I, I remember being really intrigued by the whole thing. Um, when when all that happened, I was actually still pretty new as well. I'd maybe been. Um, I, I was maybe a couple of years, maybe maybe about two years um, past my own uh, deconversion, and I, I've been fascinated with that ever since it happened to me. Trying to watch people's own kind of journeys, and one of the things that I that I was kind of struck by with your idea to, to do this was that it seemed like such a um, I, I don't want to say necessarily like a kind of a radical step there, but a step that showed that a lot of people wouldn't have made that step because it showed sort of an openness that I think people tend to, at least people who are religious, um, especially people who have been very dedicated in their, um, in the religious practice tend not to be that open. They tend to be a, a little bit more guarded. And that kind of openness is something that I, I've, I've tried to, to actually write about this, actually wrote about it kind of recently about how I think openness is what gets us to a place where we can feel comfortable in what we're actually believing because we've had the space to say, um, okay, I've actually looked at this and I've, I've said, well, you know, what if I, what if I could be wrong and had and entertained doubts, even if those doubts didn't actually come to any sort of fruition. Hmm. Um, and to do that so publicly uh, and, and, and I, and I have to say, Coming from me, I, I have written about things that I sometimes step back and go, wait, did I actually publish that? Did I actually say that 
in writing for a whole bunch of people to read. And, and, <laughs> and I've said lots of things that it would be pretty private for a lot of people or that people might not feel comfortable talking about. And even I was sort of, a, that's everything out on the table. And um, yeah, so it was, it was very interesting to kind of watch and see what I think people don't tend to see, which is we, we see here you're religious here. You're not. Right. I know when I when what happened with me is a lot of people were like, "Well, what happened?" And some people were like, "Oh, well, we've seen little things, so we understand where you were going, and this isn't a shock to us." Mm-hmm. Other people were just blindsided by it, and you did it in a way that, again, everything's out there. There are no real. I mean, there are surprises in the sense that we're not inside your head, but right. a, a lot more is out there than what people can see, and. I think that there's a real need for us to talk more about what gets us to there and hearing people's deconversion stories, but hearing just about the things that people have to grapple with is a really useful tool in understanding not just why people leave religion, but why people are religious in the first place and um, what kinds of practices or what kinds of uh, sort of mental disciplines Hmm. it takes to be in a place where that's even an option and for some people it isn't they just they never get to a point where they can entertain those sorts of things and um i I think that there's something there's something lost in that Uh, again even even for people who stay religious but if they never if they never allow themselves that opportunity i think that's um i think that's a real shame yeah, I mean, I, I really have two goals for this podcast. You know, one is, you know, to encourage people who are going through doubts about their faith to um, find courage from the fact that others are also going mm-hmm. through that. But it's it's also sort of a, a workshop in empathy, I hope, you know, for people who either mm-hmm. maybe were never religious and uh, just cannot fathom how a person could believe in, you know like the comparisons that are made to the tooth fairy and Santa Claus or whatever. It just, it sounds that absurd to people. I don't, I, you know, sometimes I think people are just being mean, but other times I think people actually feel like belief in God is that absurd to them because they never had it. And they can't even imagine having that kind of framework, that mental and spiritual framework. And, And so to hear these stories can give, hopefully I hope can give a person some empathy for what others are both what they went through, um, why, like you said, why they believed in the first place and then how traumatic it can be and how diverse that experience of losing faith can really be. Yeah. And hopefully people will have some empathy for that. Um, it's been my experience that that can be sort of a hit or miss thing that people can really understand or they can get a glimpse into that. And for some people it just becomes a, like they've, like they've stepped into, they stepped into the looking glass and they have no idea still what's happening, um, even getting the secondhand story. But yeah, it is really useful for people just to get a little bit more information and firsthand accounts can be really helpful for that. Yeah. Well, what's your own story? I mean, I know you used to be religious as well and you're not anymore. What, what, uh, kind of give us your sort of beginning experiences of religion from your, I guess your youth, your childhood, and then, and then how you gradually began to, uh, sort of realize that faith wasn't something that really not only didn't add anything to your life, but, you know, maybe was detracting from your life. Yeah. Um, 
my my story is kind of I, I I sometimes joke because I've I've run into people who I hear their stories and I go wait no you stole my story it seems it seems to be one that is common enough um, from for the majority of my childhood my um, my father was a, a minister whenever I was much younger he was Southern Baptist um, very conservative household my um, my parents are both still very strong uh, Southern Baptists. And um, kind of, we kind of gradually over the years, he would move from church to church. Um, and so I, I had most of my childhood in these mostly small little um, rural country churches in, um, in downstate Illinois. And so that, that's my experience growing up with basically your kind of standard evangelical Protestant Christianity. Uh, my parents weren't fundamentalists by any means. And in a lot of ways, I feel very fortunate that a lot of the things that I hear, the horror stories, even some things I saw in other Southern Baptist families, sort of the, the not just conservative, but sort of hyper-conservative, as, um, as actually, as one family proudly um, declared themselves that we knew. Um, my family was a, maybe a touch more moderate than that. Um, <laughs> and so eventually... What happened? I was a very curious person, and what ended up happening is, I left the house, the the home about my my late teens. I got married actually a little bit early, and so went off. And uh, what really happened, actually, to be honest, is I went to a Christian college for a semester and got so interested that even though I didn't stick around at the Christian college, I kept studying, and and just just absorbed everything I could. Uh, I sometimes joke that uh, I actually went out and bought a philosophy textbook written by um, by the Christian philosophers J.P. Moreland and uh, William Lane Craig hmm. called Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. It's a massive volume. I mean, it really is a, like a full philosophy textbook. And I read that thing cover to cover. Huh. I, um, I went on internet forums, you know, starting when I was like 16 because... I was sort of the arrogant teenager thinking I, I knew better than a lot of other people. And so I tried to put it to the test. A lot of times I didn't succeed. And those failures actually helped me learn a lot more than any of the successes I had in trying to convince people that the things that I hadn't really thought out were true. Hmm, mm -hmm. And eventually that just sort of that continual process of engaging people who had different views, even though I was doing so in a sort of, if not antagonistic, in a very adversarial sort of way, I had a point to prove. Um, eventually, I got to the point where I realized that I didn't have enough of a case. And even though I tried, I, I read apologetics, I read theology, I read anything I could get my hands on by, by Christian philosophers. Uh, ultimately, I got to the point where I was it just didn't make any more sense. I, I sort of, I lost my passion for arguing the case because it felt a little bit futile. And then about four years ago, I had uh, what I sometimes refer to as my epiphany where I was sitting in the middle of a church service and just went, no, this is, this doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Do you remember what happened like, at that moment in the church service? Was it something the preacher said or a song or something? It was the middle of a song, and I couldn't tell you what song it was. It was, it was. We were going to a church at that point, with with um, where the music was not as familiar to me. It wasn't like 
during the hymns that I that I'd been raised with or right. even some of the newer songs that I knew. It was just a moment where I think what happened is I, I, I often like to talk about the analogy of of religion sort of having a gravity. And so you sort of you end up in this orbit around it and kind of drift out to that. And so at that point that four years ago, I was sort of at the outer points. And then something about that moment, the emotion of of the music, just that tether snapped. Hmm. And I just I when I was outside, I I reached sort of my escape velocity. I was gone. I was outside the orbit. And in some ways I was sort of preparing myself for this, uh, not consciously, but by talking to atheists online in for in, in forums and blogs, I was starting to absorb more of the ideas that they were putting forth and just rolling them around. And in a lot of cases I said, I could say, yeah, actually that makes good sense. It's, it could comport with what I already believed, even though it might've been a, a little bit of a stretch, but, I, but I had some ideas in mind. I didn't, I didn't lose my tether and then end up being sort of completely adrift. I had some, I had some idea of where to go uh, and I really didn't actually have any any disorientation in terms of what I thought then. Uh, I just sort of I sort of felt back to some degree, and then gradually grew into some of the the ideas um, on some of the things that I'd been hearing, and and that helped me actually quite a bit because what I had to deal with, having left faith, really wasn't an issue of what I believed anymore. But it was really more of an issue of how I had to figure out how to relate to people again. I want to come back to what you mean by that. But before, I had a couple of questions about what you said. Um, mm-hmm. You you talked about you know these, these debating you did online on the, in these forums, and and I find that Christian apologists or amateur apologists, um, I mean, the farther, and I think this is true of anything, whether you're. Um, you know, arguing for a political candidate or a brand of, you know, dish soap or like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is, the further you get into your argument, the more your ego is wrapped up in being right. And it har- the harder yeah. it is to back out. It's sort of like, you know, you get that fish hook in so far and there's that barb and now you can't back the fish hook out, you know, like it's stuck. And I wonder like when you, when that tether snapped, as you said, and by the way, I used that same escape velocity analogy in a lecture I gave about a year ago where I, I talked about some of the people always want to know if there was some kind of trauma that turned mm-hmm. me into an atheist. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, the trauma was like an escape velocity to get, you know, it kind of launched me outside of the orbit that I was familiar yeah. with. And then it put me in a new orbit. And then in that new orbit, I could ask different questions that were mm-hmm. not only off limits to me, but sometimes the questions did, wouldn't have even occurred to me. Like it was like, yeah. it's that thing, you know, they say the most dangerous kind of ignorance is the thing you don't know you don't know. And, yeah. and you know, so when you get into this new orbit um, that's larger than the one you were in before, you start to realize how much you don't know. You didn't even know that you didn't know some of this. You wouldn't have even known to ask, you know? Um, right. So, but, but for you in this, in, this, um, in this moment that you had in church in the middle of a song, like, and it snaps and then you go outside afterwards and you're, you know, obviously you must have been thinking about it for days and days after that. Was it hard for you to admit to yourself and then eventually to others that, you know, the arguments that you had been using really didn't 
add up or was it kind of an ego thing or was it pretty easy for you to be like, well, I was looking for the truth and I guess, you know, this is where it led me. Um, I didn't actually spend a whole lot of time pondering it after it happened. And this is maybe one of the things that surprises me. I, I think I have been in some ways very, to be perfectly honest, just lucky about how my experience happened. And that might seem strange because I did go through quite a bit of, of, um, of difficulties having that. But what really happened actually is I think at that moment, I realized what I had already basically known the whole time was that I didn't have any, any, and I didn't have to like to stand on with any of this. There was no foundation to any of the things that I had before. I had stopped arguing because I already knew. So oh, yeah. it was it was something I just hadn't admitted to myself at that point. Right. And it didn't really take any further convincing for me of that. It was just once I had that, it was just it was almost just like I had a, a new state of mind, which is just that stuff that stuff didn't make sense. Hmm. And now what? Do you remember like an and, example of a couple of things that were some of the last threads to break in terms of things that you thought made sense and then realized didn't? Oh, absolutely. The um, the thing that was the, not necessarily the final straw, but is the last thing I can very consciously remember uh, rejecting was the idea of hell. At, at about hmm. a month or two before before this happened, uh, I had been, been reading up on some different theological perspectives um, on hell, going past the traditionalist view to, to ideas like annihilationism or um, universalism. And I kind of came to a point where it, it didn't really seem to make any sense to me that, that if you are talking about uh, an ultimately benevolent deity, that the very idea of hell just doesn't seem to, to make any sense with that. Those, those two ideas have some sort of tension to them. And, it it was just something that I finally got to the point where I, was, I understand why that idea is there. If somebody said to me in the Bible where it says that that's true, um, where that universalism tr- is true or annihilation is true or, you know, disprove essentially that this traditional view of hell is false. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily could have, but it, ultimately in my mind, it's just like, no, it doesn't make sense. And I had already gotten to the point where I was taking the Bible. I don't want to say loosely, but I was understanding it as not quite so rigid and inflexible and uh, maybe to some degree authoritative as I had been taught as a child. Right. I looked at it now with some different, with some different lenses and realized, no, that there's actually some stuff in here that really doesn't make sense. And not in a sense of um, I'm going to find a different way of interpreting that all the time, but just saying, no, that's just, that's just not, that's just, not right that was probably a, a big part of that but hell really was the the final straw for me at, at that point i don't know that i had any real huge issues obviously the existence of god in general was still something that i held until that moment i would right. if you would ask me the day before this i would have told you yes i believe there's a god sure uh, i might have hedged it a little bit in terms of my certainty but i probably would have still said that uh, but but hell was that was a that was a big turning point, and I didn't realize it when it happened. I just figured it would be another thing that I would sort of I would tuck that new idea into into my utility belt, and I'd move on. 
Right. Yeah, I think people, like we were saying earlier, people that have not spent the time that you and I did sliding down the slippery slope of, you know, ultimately leading to unbelief, it's, you know, the idea would be like, well, you find it, you find an inconsistency in the Bible and boom, you're an atheist. And, um, I mean, I had seen inconsistency. I had been grappling with and, and making room in my theology for these inconsistencies in the Bible for, you know, a decade or more. Uh, while still being a pastor. So I think it, you're, you're right. Like you just, it's almost like, you know, when you have like a, an artery blockage in your heart and, you know, the artery just makes its own bypass sometimes. It creates a workaround, you know, and, um, you know, it just, or, or like, you know, a barbed wire fence and the tree just, instead of like pushing the barbed wire fence out of the way, it just grows right around the barbed wire, you know? And so you just, I think, you know, theology is very, um, you know, it's, it's sort of an art of, um, you know, manipulation in a way to, uh, to create, you know, alternative explanations. And I certainly did the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and that, that has its, its own sort of danger, but it's a, it's a pretty useful way at least to start, start the questioning process, if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So what was, I mean, what was challenging for you about, what happened after that? Like, you know, were you, was it pretty, like you said you were lucky, but was there, you know, what was that like for you to give up your faith at that point? Well, here's, here's kind of the thing that I, that I say about the reason I say it was lucky because I didn't spend any time really deliberating over this. It was just, I walked out of that service knowing that I had essentially a different path that I was walking on. I had walked in a Christian and I was walking out, definitely not a Christian. Wow. Um, I don't know what I would have called myself at that, that point, maybe just a non-believer. Uh, I sort of, I sort of just gradually slid into, into the label of atheist because it made sense to me. But um, literally what happened was um, I had, I had gone with my family. I, um, I've been married for now uh, almost 13 years. Um, my wife and I have two, two boys and we had all gone as a family. It's something we had always done. And so after the end of that service, we, we went and we got our kids and we walked out to the car and I started to pull out of the parking lot and I said, I can't go back. And, and uh, there had been something sort of mildly political that it had, had come up in the service. So, um, so my wife kind of assumed a little bit that it was that and she kind of asked and I said, I, I just don't think I believe this anymore. I told her immediately there was no filter between what happened in my brain and the words that came out of my mouth. It didn't occur to you to be like, you know, maybe I should wait till a better moment or nothing like that. It just no. happened. It was just, it was like a, a complete sort of outpouring of, of my emotion at that point. I couldn't, I just couldn't hold it in. I, I joke sometimes that there's sort of the irony that like my first act is, as, um, after having left Christianity, it was a leap of faith in just being <laughs> being willing to tell my wife, like, this happened to me. It happened just now. I haven't had time to process it. Here you go. We get to work through this together. And to her credit, she she didn't react strongly at first. Hmm. She didn't she didn't immediately pull back. She um she 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 showed concern. And 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 the, and I needed that. I needed her not to immediately recoil from the fact that I had said. I I essentially said in in a moment. Uh, this is I, I'm now a slightly different person. I'm different in this one aspect 
that you had known me for for at that point almost 10 years like that's that's what she knew of me i was i was a christian i had not only a christian but but a fiercely dedicated i i worked in ministry um i led choirs i i i composed a cantata for for an for a christmas one year um i had preached from from a pulpit fill, doing filling the pulpit for for the church that we were at at the time i mean i i was absolutely dedicated to it mm. and i really put a lot of thought into what i believed and so she she has joked in sometimes since then that i blindsided her that's the word she uses and it, it eventually within a, a day or two it became clear that there was that this was still an issue to work out right i hadn't just gotten off completely scot-free on that but um, ultimately it was something that we we had to work out um she she was there whenever i started telling other people um when i had the conversation with my with my mother which was a an, an incredibly emotional moment because she she didn't take it too well and she definitely said some things to me that if um if i were to ask her now i think she would she would admit that she regrets um or that she wishes she could handle it better but she was caught off guard too so i i have a little bit of of sympathy for for that uh, and so that was sort of the beginning of just trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how not only do I tell people, but how do I figure out how to help them relate to me better and for me to not push them in ways that are going to, that's going to strain this relationship more. I really was thinking a lot about not losing the relationships I had. And again, especially with my wife, because the idea of our family falling apart because of all that just, absolutely scared the hell out of me and and i knew that it was a risk sure because i i had one of the first things that happened after that happened is i went online and i started looking for other people i think i ended up on um xchristian.net and i was looking at stories where people had talked about where there had been a marriage one partner deconverts and there tended not to be very many happy endings let's say sure. and um and it was it was genuinely really hard and i had to to think a lot about what she would need from me while also trying to balance the needs that i had because now i was at that point sort of without a community and i had had a community my entire life i could walk into a church on any corner and and, you know baptists are everywhere it's like i could have gone to a baptist church in, in any town that i was in and i could have felt a reasonable amount of comfort maybe not total comfort but i could have known to some degree these are my people and I right. didn't have that anymore. I knew atheists, but generally not in real life. I didn't have people I could physically go and be around. And so I had to figure out how to meet those needs while also not alienating the people around me who I also didn't want to leave at that point. Hmm. And that was the thing genuinely that caused me the most, the most trouble. Again, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have sleepless nights worrying about whether or not I was going to go to hell I didn't. I didn't worry at all whether or not I had made a, a, a grave error of judgment in in rejecting Christianity. I basically could look back on my journey and go, I, I think I did that right. I think I got here because of because of, of reasoned uh, reasoned thought and 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 genuine study, trying to actually come out with something I thought was truer. Where I didn't have that with Christianity, it was handed to me. I accepted it, and it took me 
20 years before I, I was able to, to really look at those things and make that judgment for myself. It was totally about relating to other people and, and figuring out where I was in terms of my own personal identity. Not, not about the belief stuff. That was, that was the easy part. Right. Yeah. So just how to, you know, get back into relationship with people or how to view them. I mean, was it kind of an anthropology type of thing? Like I, one of the things I've struggled with, and I wonder if, if this is also part of your experience is, um, you know, part of the beautiful message of Christianity that I embraced was this idea that everyone is created in the image of God. It was the way it, that was the theology that was my, the way in for me to, all movements of equality, whether it was LGBTQ, you know, campaigns for equality, uh, whether it was, you know, gender, you know, equality, uh, race, anti-racism, you know, activism, uh, you know, this this guiding idea that we're all created in God's image was, um, you know, you know, a way of saying we're all human, you know, we're all valuable Um was it something like like that at all? Was there anything about not having that anymore? Um, I wouldn't necessarily that it, that it was that kind of that it was that kind of experience for me. It, it, there was a little bit of an anthropological angle, which is that now I felt like I had a I had gained an experience that a lot of the people around me didn't have, and and I think more than anything. It took me a long time to just kind of, I I dug in and studied, I actually really got interested in studying religions. I, for some reason, about from like a period of a month within a a couple of months of my deconversion, I had this really strong interest in Mormonism. And it was just something I I felt like I could look at now from from a different point of view. Um, But a lot of it was just trying to, I don't, to some degree, I, I spent more time trying to figure out how I could actually get people to see that. I hadn't made a, a radical change that there was still something, there was still something in the equation that had remained constant. Mm-hmm. That, that some things that there were, there were variables. Now there were definite changes to that, but that there were still things that, that were the same. And in some ways, the things that stayed the same got used against me. Um, Hmm. My like my what? mom my mom said very like almost explicitly she said like this is just you being too big for your bridges like you just you you've always thought that you were really smart and this is just you trying to be smarter than everybody else by figuring out something that you don't think everybody else has figured out and you aren't as smart as you think you are um, but for some other people it was coming uh. back and saying like no this isn't about me trying to be right or superior it's just me wanting to know the best things the best possible truth that I can understand. And some people got that. Some people didn't. Uh, but I, but I think that's more of the, the digging in that, that you kind of described earlier that when people are really convinced they, they, they hold tighter when they're challenged right? rather than, than loosening their grip just tentatively just to say, okay, well, what about this? Um, I, I got, I didn't get that from, from a whole lot of people. Well, that's um, good. But I did try to find still things that, that I could find common ground on. That's the one, that's the one piece of advice that I, that I, that I really try to, to emphasize whenever I talk to people who have gone through situations where one person deconverts and the other doesn't, and you're trying to figure out um, how to navigate what, um, what I like to call mixed belief marriages, because I tend not to like the term interfaith for the mixing of, of secular and religious or 
atheist and theist. Um, but when you've got those kind of situations, you really have to come back to what are those common values. And yeah, there are things that you can find in in religions certainly that are that are really common ideas. Um, I mean, you have non-credal religions like Unitarian Universalism, where that is it. You just have the values, and people who with with diverse beliefs can come around and say, no, we have these values, which are beliefs of a sort, but not beliefs about, about metaphysics or, um, or spirituality necessarily. And, and that can work right? because you can, you can say, here are the things that, that do matter. And we're not going to let the things that, um, that we have as differences be the wedge that drives us apart. Uh, that can, that can work. And in fact, I think in cases where you do have the, the different beliefs, that's really the major way that it does work is by coming back and focusing on those things and, um, and trying to come back to those commonalities and especially the values. And I think my wife and I have, have especially over the, the past couple of years, once the, the dust sort of settled and we, we started to get really back into, we got past the initial sort of renegotiation of what this meant for us. And we got back to just being, us then we we were able to come back and say like well these are the things that we really do still stand for together and these are the things that haven't changed and that's what works yeah that's really good advice and i know it's it's easier to say and and harder to to actually execute you know and it took you guys a lot of effort and work and it'll take others a lot of work as well but but i think that that's that's what i try to i mean i had an interchange with my grandmother over email uh, a few days ago um, I think it's taken her this long to sort of settle in on the idea that um, I'm actually an atheist. I think she's been in mm-hmm. d- denial about it for a while. And um, and so I said, yeah, Grandma, you know, I am. But honestly, that's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, I'm I'm the same person I was, you know, before, like what you're saying. And that's what we need mm-hmm. to build on. And that's what we need to focus on. Like, I still love you. We're still coming for Thanksgiving like we do every year. You know, it's like, it's the same, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same relationship we always had. I mean, it's, it's a little different in the sense that we don't share that connection. And around my tables, you know, my family tables, we ended, you know, we used to talk a lot about, they still talk a lot about religion and who's the pastor of which church and what did pastor so-and-so, mm-hmm. what's he doing now? And, you know, and I don't mind getting in on those conversations either. You know, it's, I, I'm interested in what, you know, Pastor Jones is doing now. Like, he's still someone I care about. But, um, yeah, so you have to renegotiate those relationships based off of the things that you have in common. I think when people are fundamentalists, too, um, you know, that kind of religion is so deeply ingrained in every aspect of life that you can't, yeah. you almost can't sit down and have a meal without the difference of, re- of religious beliefs being a factor. And so I know some people have it much, much harder. Yeah. When it, when it's a, when it's a pervasive kind of thing, then yeah, it really is. It's kind of hard because again, that's the sort of the relating that I think is difficult. Uh, I, I think I've had a lot, a lot harder time with my own mother for that reason, because it, that is everything for her. Right. Um, she, well, um, one of the things that I got involved with um, a year or so ago was, um, was actually becoming a secular celebrant. I got a certification with the, oh, the yeah. Center for Inquiry, which has a program for that. And and she she I don't want to say she argued, but let's say that she she made a very strong point about how she didn't even get how there could be such a thing. 
because right. to her, the ideas of 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 marriage, uh, commemorating marriage, and and especially dealing with death, were so wrapped up in religious ideas that the very notion of having someone who was non-religious trying to to help people commemorate a person's life or helping them cope with the fact that they were that that person was gone now doing that from a doing that from a non-religious perspective was just so beyond the pale that she 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 did again say some some ugly things that i i still kind of rolled around in my head and go that 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 still doesn't make any sense to me why why is that a, a thing at all that she was worried about right but she did say that to me and um and that that makes it harder to relate because again she she wasn't open to this very simple idea which didn't challenge what she believed right it was just saying i have a different way of dealing with that thing that you also have a way of dealing with and the the existence of a different way of thinking about that or dealing with it still didn't set at all well with her and uh that that does that that's an obstacle uh so that's something we tend not to talk about and, and, it, and it works okay because we have other things that we can relate to each other with and it, it, uh, it so it goes i guess right 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 you mentioned a second ago being a secular celebrant and um mm-hmm. you know i was a pastor for years and and kind of just kept doing that part of my pastoral life yeah. and I, I got a secular celebrant uh, you know I became official through American Humanist Association so there are a couple of organizations that do that what what other I know you're also a blogger um, you know what other types of things do you do in the secular space that you know I mean I guess have helped you uh, have a mission if, if we can use that that terminology because you were a minister so to say before and Mm -hmm. i i still think you know in in some ways uh what i do now is a kind of ministry do you have other things that you do that are like a ministry i would say the biggest thing for me right now is is writing and 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 trying to engage with with people coming from different perspectives i've done a lot of writing over the past year about about issues that have to do particularly with deconversion. Um, and it really is remarkable how, how writing can help people talk about their own stories. And there is sort of this communal catharsis that comes from saying, uh, yeah, I get that. I, I understand that. Or it happened to me this way. Um, and, and trust me, there are, like I said, there are so many things that that story that I told about being in church and, and hearing that song and having that moment, right. I, I, I talked about that one time and then I had like six people who were like the same thing happened to me hmm. and you find ways of connecting to people that way. And that's, that's helpful for, for me, but, I, but I've also seen that be helpful for other people and trying to, to, um, to shed some light on some of the things that maybe they hadn't thought of in terms of that or, or trying on, on occasion, I've, I've actually tried to give people advice. Um, I'm not sure exactly why people would, would, take advice from me but um <laughs> but people have asked and i've and i've answered trying to um trying to to use my experience as best i can right um for those kinds of things um i've been involved with some other projects like um last year i was involved uh with with the hotline project from recovering from religion which is a which is a project that i feel really strongly about even though i'm not actually involved with it anymore again trying to give people um a space of some sort no matter what where they're coming from people who have already 
made the the step and said, I'm not religious or people who've never been religious um, or people who are like, I'm still there, but, but I have these questions or I really need a way to actually um, deal with this sort of issue. And I know that I can't turn to religion for it because I know what they'll say. I was there too, as, as a, as a Christian, I knew that there were things that I couldn't go talk to my pastor about because I knew it would happen. I couldn't talk in, in Sunday school about them because I knew it would happen. I, I knew that there was a, there was my place in the community to some degree was at stake. And I was so, and I was so in the middle of everything that I wasn't about to just throw it away because I had some doubts or some questions or I had some disagreements with things going on. So I think that's a really useful thing that no matter what the, the framework for that is or the mechanism, that that's still an important thing that there needs to be a way for people to, to reach out and say, I, I need some guidance. I need, I need to figure out here's where I am. Here's what I need. I need some things to connect with. And there's tons of different, um, like, like you said, uh, I think we, we, I think there's a, a, there's a resistance to terms like ministry. And I get that because people do kind of have the association. People who are coming out of religion in very negative ways. Um, they're, they might resist that, but they are sort of the same sort of things. They're, they're, organizations or initiatives or projects that are meant to provide those kinds of resources that in some cases would be served by by groups maybe like churches or religious institutions but but are catered for for the needs of people who are who are doubting or who are who are living post-religious or secular lives that is a really important thing that people need to do again no matter who's doing it where it's coming from um, I think that we will be poor if we don't try and find avenues to to make those things work, and and again, just finding ways to to talk about these issues. Right. People people want to hear what's happening, and again, t- the biggest thing is to know that they're not alone. Yes. Yeah, I, I I often say that there are you know two main goals, and I mean this is what life after God is really all about. Um, you know, creating that space and creating resources, including personal coaching uh, for people that are mm-hmm. going through uh, this transition. But, but I often say, like the two main things people really want, uh, as I've heard them uh, describe it to me, is to know that they're not alone, as you said, and to know that they're not crazy. And and yeah. I, I think you know this idea that, and the two kind of go together. Like if you're having an idea and your whole worldview and friend group and everything uh has you're the only one who is ask you think you're the only one who's asking that question you can feel very alone and simultaneously a little crazy like why am i the only you know could it be that i'm just literally being deceived by satan or could it be that i'm going crazy losing my mind am i is it what's going on with me and then when you find out like oh no like dozens hundreds of other people Yay, thousands of other people have had a similar, um, sometimes, you know, like you said, sometimes you tell a story and someone's like, that's exactly my story, like down to the, some of the specific details, you know, and people feel so much more, um, like comforted, I think, and embraced by that, by that idea that there is this group of people that have been through the same thing they've been through. Yeah. Anytime that your, your social group, or society in general, as it tends to be in the United States, anytime they're they're giving you a perspective where this is the norm, uh, deviating from that is something that can really be 
difficult to, to break out of because there is to some degree a, a need to, to belong. And, to some, and, and that does include to some, to an extent, at least conforming in terms of um, beliefs and expectations. Um, we, we, I think we're getting better about that right. by, by giving more room for there to be diversity of, of opinions, but there's still that pull. And society is a big part of that, and like, and and obviously, immediate social groups, family, friends, and the more they start to question you about those things, then the more that that's going going to shake your own confidence in what you found. Right. Uh, I didn't get, I, like I said, I did. I was fortunate not to get a whole lot of that because people either were had enough distance where they didn't push me on that or people just understood and said, Oh, okay, I, uh, th- that's fine. I, I don't agree with that, but we, we trust that you didn't take this lightly. Sure. And, I, and that's the one thing that I, that I can say nobody really, except for maybe my parents accused me of this being sort of a phase. Right. Where, and right. You, just, you just grow out of it. Like you, you're just, you're, you're flirting with a different idea and, and it, it's okay. You'll, you'll come back to the fold um, people, people were pretty good for me, at least about just giving me distance. Maybe they thought I would come back and, and, and it just hasn't ever happened. And I don't see it probably happening at this point. Right. Um, I could be wrong, but, uh, I, I think I've, I think I've ex- exhausted a lot of the options that, that would have been open to me to try and figure that out. If so, right. um, but like I said, I try and keep my eyes and ears open and, and listen to what other people are saying, um, uh, which is another thing that I, that I feel strongly about in terms of my own in writing and work. But, um, but, but they trusted that most everybody seemed to trust that, that I either needed the space to do it on my own, or they trusted that I, that I made the decision not, not lightly because it was one that had a lot of potential consequences. Um, but one that I really thought out and, and considered and, and wasn't just making foolishly, um, and that, like I said, that that helps. Not everybody gets that. A lot of a lot of other people get a lot more scrutiny than sure. than I did on that. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate because those people need that space. And again, maybe maybe for some of those people, they they get that space and then they realize, oh no, I, actually there there are ways for me to 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 or to rationalize or or I didn't see this, and and they might go back. And you know, there there are people who who reconvert, but people need that kind of space to try and figure it out on their own. And I think when people get the space and they don't have the pressure, they're, um, they're more likely to, to really give it the proper consideration that it needs. Right. Um, yeah. There is, they're more likely to get the, you know, to dial into, you know, an honest appraisal of the information that they have without the social pressure of making things fit mm-hmm. all the time. You know, before we run out of time, I definitely want to get into uh, something else with you. Like we've been, you know, you and I have both been, you know, tremendously supported by the secular community as we've gone through uh, these, you know, sometimes nice and kind of comfortable, but other times really uncomfortable transitions. Um, but, mm-hmm. you you know, you recently wrote uh, a blog post um, where you said that you were basically sort of opting out of the secular mm-hmm. movement to whatever degree that there's a, a movement of such. And, and I, I don't, I know I hate for this to get too inside baseball cause I don't, I don't really want, um, you know, you know, some of the listeners, you know, aren't super familiar with all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I also, I just wanted to touch on the idea that, 
that sometimes the same kinds of, um, you know, perhaps destructive behaviors, uh, sort of social group uh, dynamics can exist uh, and do exist in secular groups as well as um, religious groups. And that seems like something you've been thinking about a lot recently. Do you want to just reflect on that for a minute? Yeah, um, that, that's a really that's been a really tricky one for me. Um, I, I never, I don't think I ever really had any any misapprehensions about the fact that the secular movement, which is admittedly kind of a vague term, and people deny that there's a thing, but right, it, it's a useful right. it's a useful um, way of looking at that. It's a useful frame that that is a lot of different organizations, and organizations are organizations are groups and there are group dynamics to those kinds of things. And we, we tend, or at least let me say some people who come, especially who come out of religion or who have maybe exceptionally um, negative views of religion um, will, will have, I think taken a perspective that religion in almost in, in any way inherently does things worse in terms of how they deal with groups, um, how they deal with authority, how they deal with, um, with transparency and, um, and essentially with, with ethics in a lot of ways. And the reality is that we would be deceiving ourselves to, to not acknowledge that people who leave religion are still people who leave religion. They're still people. And there isn't that fundamental a difference in the way that we, we go about all these things. There is a lot of commonality. There, um, there is the same sort of potential for um, abuse of power um, of people who, who want to use things opportunistically, um, who want to take advantage of, in some, to be honest, to be to take advantage of the trust that some people have for people who are in the tribe and and yes there is a sort of tribalism that goes with these things right. um, if we if we aren't willing to admit that then we're really putting ourselves in a situation where things could go could go awry pretty quickly yeah i think that um, the idea that there's not the possibility of something happening negative like that you leave yourself open to being blindsided by it yeah yeah and, and actually in some ways it's it's the same problem that people who are religious think that they um that the people who are in leadership are are upright people they're um as, as I would have heard it as a child, men of God, um, and but but you know we have these stories where people who are who are leaders in churches do horrible things, and and that's and that's not a surprise to anybody who's left religion. It's not even generally a surprise to people who are still in religion, um, even though they may want to deny it in cases where it happens too close to home. Right. Um, but then we do we do the same thing here. We 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 want to say that we're um, that we're more rational, that we're more empathetic, that um, we have a firmer grasp on reality. But the fundamental point about all of this is that the same cognitive biases that that affect religious people affect affect atheists, affect secular people as well. And it, denying that puts us in it maybe arguably in worse shape. Um, or, or maybe in in this in the same sort of situation, but for a different rationale 
um, is a feeling of intellectual superiority rather than um, moral superiority. Right. Uh, and that's and that's a big danger. Just thinking you're better and that like it can't happen to me. That's exactly the environment in which it does happen. Mm-hmm. And we have to be very careful about that. That's really well said. I mean, I, I think that being self-aware and and being um, you know willing to turn a critical eye on your own um, thoughts and reactions to things or motives, you know, in the case of, um, you know, attributing um, sort of questionable motives to other people and sort of reserving sort of pristine motives uh, for for oneself. And I mean, I think that kind of um, thinking can, can really lead individuals and organizations in a, in a very, destructive, uh, destructive way. Um, and you know, we always hate to see people of our social group, uh, do poorly, um, because we feel like it reflects on us. And so I, I think Mm -hmm. there's a certain sense of protectiveness around, um, you know, people of one's own group to say, well, it wasn't that bad or it's not absolutely, you know, it's not what you think because it reflects on you. Like if you're a Christian and a Christian pastor does something egregious, uh, immoral or something, you know, the first, you know, thing that we feel this impulse rise up in, in us as, a, you know, when, when we were Christians to say, well, not all Christians are like that. And certainly not all pastors are mm-hmm. like that. It's a bad apple. And, and certainly we want to distance ourselves from that behavior because clearly it's wrong. Um, but that doesn't reflect on Christianity necessarily. And it, you know, it might reflect on Christianity to a certain degree. A certain kind of theology might leave a door ajar for that type of behavior to, yeah. to grow and, and, and ferment, you know, in there. Uh, and I think the same is true in, in, in the secular community. Like, we can, we can um, create, like you said, an illusion of uh, intellectual superiority, re- reasoning uh, powers are, are, are more acute or, or that we are more uh, empathetic as a result of not being religious and, and just leave that door ajar for those very types of diseases, you know, social diseases to, to grow. And I, I just, I frankly am frustrated. And I was saying this to Cass the other day on the show that, that people that are proclaimed, you know, secular people aren't just more curious when they encounter something that goes against their preconceived notions of things that they aren't just more curious to say well that that seems odd that's not what i expected from this person or that organization or from myself even i wonder you know why uh this is happening or why you know what might be causing this and without being so defensive um right off the bat i mean i understand why people are defensive but I just wish that we could bracket that defensiveness for just a minute long enough to say, is there something to consider here? Yeah. And I, I think one of the things is part of this, I think just to, to a, at least a small extent is the fact that there is now, and we've seen it with things in the past several years with, with the reason rallies, the one, four years ago, the one that's about to hit um, this year that we've seen this, this growing mass. And so there has been this idea to think of it as a, a larger group, but I think that there may need to be, and this is maybe one of the, my, my points that I've been reflecting on since I, since I wrote that piece, which sort of said, forget this, I'm done with the larger, the larger thing um, is to, is to kind of retrench and come back to smaller circles, tighten things up a little bit, try and surround ourselves with people who 
who not only will try and and exemplify or strive for at least if if not exemplify the kinds of of qualities that we really want to strive for intellectual honesty curiosity um, skepticism and not just skepticism in the sense of, Oh, we don't believe in UFOs or Bigfoot or, or Jesus, but, but skepticism in the sense of, of really questioning each other and our motives and even the simple little things about how we are, are prone to fall into to confirmation bias. Um, I mean, in an election season, that's, that's one of the, the biggest things you're going to see is people who just find the things that, that, um, they that reinforce believe. the ideas they already have and not challenge the yeah. the uh, the ideas themselves. If we can retrench and get ourselves into where we where we look inward and we use the people around us to help sharpen our abilities to do those things, which requires an effort and it requires us to trust each other enough to do that, which is why it's not really a, a feasible strategy, at least for now on a larger scale, then you can start to to expand those circles a little bit. And to bring more people in and and just say, like, these are things that we, we think are valuable. I think that's actually one of the helpful things for me when I came in is that I did kind of latch on to to some communities, to some people that that did really exemplify those kinds of things. And as I kept interacting with them, and I kept learning and I kept trying to put those things into practice, not just for myself, but for other people to say, hey, hold on a second, wait, you're, you're may, you may be going around this the wrong way, let's think this through, that that sort of, uh, those sort of social interactions can help us come to a better sense where, where doing it alone is, is a little bit more difficult. Right. And that's the one thing I think that gets, that gets really lost in, in the larger movement kind of stuff you need movements for to do big things but you also end up having these sort of issues the bigger you get and and, and so in some degree i think the stuff that's happening in in a lot of different places is just essentially a symptom of of the of the growth sort of growing pains and um and so we do need to kind of come back to, to some of those things or at least i think that if anyone is frustrated with things that are happening right now, as I was when I basically said, I'm out, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. That that's, that's, I think the solution is to come back and say, I'm going to find some of these smaller communities. Maybe, local. maybe I'm going to go and I'm going to find so a local group or I'm going to find a group online. And that's the place where I'm going to start doing that. So I can keep my own, um, my own biases in check a little bit more because I can, because I know that people are doing this. And so I can trust that people are going to call me out on those things in a way that will help me improve my own ability to see reality more clearly. Yeah. I think, I think it's also um, important to, I mean, a lot of these conversations around theism versus atheism, rationality, skepticism, science, they operate in the realm of the abstract. And we, you know, these Facebook conversations we get into, they're ideas, they're abstract concepts. And, and what really, you know, where we, like you say, where we live our everyday lives on the local, smaller um, basis uh, in neighborhoods, you know, what really comes down to is is how we have to live and, and how, how our lives can be an influence for good in the world, which mm-hmm. when I, you know, when I decided on this name Life After God, it's really this after part. It's really like, okay, now what do I do that's not sort of endlessly circling around the question of whether there's a God or not, but but now yeah. moving past that and saying, okay, uh, you know, there's no God. Okay, no big deal. It's not, you know, it's not the 
end of the world, uh, we, we can do something productive still with our lives. And, uh, you know, the example I keep coming back to is, you know, there's obviously a big election season right now and everybody's arguing uh, over, you know, really, really important stuff, like really, really important stuff. Uh, it really does matter, you know, I believe who mm-hmm. gets elected in, in the next few months. But what matters even more than that is the local community meeting that I'm going to go to in a week from now in my neighborhood uh, where the police are going to give an update about the, a couple of shootings that have happened recently and what we can all do to uh, maybe mitigate some of those things. We're gonna, there's going to be an update about a park that's being renovated and uh, that will be available to families and uh, there will be some school issues. I mean, this is where people live their lives. This is the stuff that really matters. It's not whether or not there's a God, uh, you know, it's just something we can continue to debate forever. Uh, but people still have to go to school in the morning. You know, they still have to go to work in the morning. They still have to deal with their families and their uh, economic situation. And, you know, these are the real things of life. And I think it's by becoming back, like you said, by coming back to the local, the smaller scale that we can really hone the skills of critical thinking and activism, and then maybe prepare ourselves to be better sort of equipped and mature uh, to handle more, you know, state level or national type, you know, campaigns. Yeah. And you do need a place to, to connect with people who have similar values to you. That's right. Because that's one of the things that, that is, that's a problem for people who feel like they're surrounded by people who have just vastly different ways. Maybe it's, you know, dramatically different political views or, um, or ideologies, you need to have that, but yeah, you still have to live with the people you live around. And so uh, in, in focusing too much on having these specialized communities, yeah, there is a way in which we can kind of lose, lose the, the, the sense that we don't, we don't all exist on the internet. Right. We don't all exist in that, in that, monthly meetup at our local skeptics or atheists or free thinkers group like that's it there's still a broader kind of thing and communities that i think are doing it well from from a secular point of view are the ones who do actually uh, do those kinds of things they do actually try and say like our community is more than just talking about whether there's a god or isn't it's them doing other things it's about trying to to keep an eye on what's happening in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our states, and in, in the country, right. and and doing that with those values in mind, but also working with other people who have similar values, even if they don't share all the same beliefs, and that that's the sense in which communities overlap, and you can do things that are not just dealing with with church state issues or dealing with. Uh, those sorts of things that the secular community has really gotten good at, but they're, again, they're not everything. There's other issues that need to be dealt with as well. As well. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of stunned how fast the time has gone by here, Galen. (laughs) I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm just like blown away that it's already been a little more than an hour. So, uh, in deference to our listeners, um, we will have to continue. Uh, maybe we can, you know, We'll, we'll come back to you again soon because I've really enjoyed this. And I, I'd like to talk more specifically, you know, next time about, you know, some of what you're uh, specifically doing uh, in terms of your local involvement. I know we've sort of been vague casting here for a lot, the last few minutes, but uh, but yeah, it'd be fun to come circle back and, and catch up with you again in the future. Uh, in the meantime, yeah. can you tell us like where your blog is, how people can find you? And, and uh, I would love to you know, have some folks be able to read what you're writing. 
Yeah, um, my Patheos blog is called Across River, Rivers Wide, which is essentially me trying to talk about not only the the journey, the the new river that I'm navigating, but also trying to reach across those borders to um, to people of other perspectives. Um, that's at patheos slash dot com slash blog slash rivers. Um, and that's the place where I'm putting a lot of my thoughts out right now um, about, like I said, about my own personal life, but a lot of the other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I'll be talking a little bit less about, about the movement and uh, some of those things that aren't quite so pleasant to, to write about. But, um, but yeah, if anyone's interested in checking my writing, it's, it's, you can find me there at across rivers wide. Great. And I'll put the link in the show notes so everybody can just click on it and, and find their way over to you. But man, thanks again for, uh, staying up late and, and uh, chatting with me. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. I really appreciate Galen taking the time to catch up with me and share a little bit of his story, you know, elements of it that I haven't heard before. And I'm sure much of it is very relatable uh, to many of you as, as it was to me. I hope you'll go to his blog and in the show notes, uh, I have put the, the link so you can just click on it and go there to his blog across rivers wide. Um, Galen is really adept and sensitive to uh, creating opportunities to bridge divides, which is what his blog is about. And, um, you know, he has a deep sense of identity and, and empathy with people who are uh, still religious and those that are going through transition, which is what made him a great uh, hotline um, uh, volunteer uh, and um, I think what makes him a great friend to people who are genuinely seeking the truth and aren't trying to just promote a brand or build an empire uh, or, you know, create a name for themselves or make a bunch of money or whatever it is, but, but really people who are just trying to sort through the big challenges that we, we've all faced uh, about um, belief and faith, but also just about the everyday aspects uh, of life. And um, Galen is a friend to uh, the oppressed and uh, does everything in his power from what I've seen, just uh, observing him on Facebook and the things that he writes uh, to stand in solidarity with those uh, who... Um, you know, need that uh, that support as they uh, struggle for equality. So, so Galen Galen's just a great great guy, and I hope that came through. And I hope you'll check out his blog. Um, as I said at the top of the show, I just wanted to give you a quick update about me and uh, why things have been perhaps a little spotty, either um, on you know some of my correspondence or or following up with those of you that have uh, volunteered to be on the X Files and share your story. Um, I've, you know, many of you know, I've been uh, a part-time bartender at Iron Triangle Brewing Company here in Los Angeles for the last five months uh, since we opened in January. It's been a great experience. I've loved being a bartender. I've loved um, just meeting people and uh, chatting with them over a beer and uh, I've loved just developing the new skills uh, associated with being a bartender. It's all been so great. Um, but I recently got the opportunity to work uh, again with Iron Triangle, but this time as a sales representative, the first sales representative for the company. And uh, I just started uh, a couple days ago, and it's been great so far. Obviously, I've still got a long ways to go. I've never really sold anything except for Jesus and the church, which is 
something. I mean, I think, I think, you know, when you spend a, a big chunk of your life promoting um, ideas that you really believe are impactful in people's lives and are really important for them to accept, you're, you're, you know, you become accustomed to the hard sell. And I was never, a, you know, a really uh, put the screws to someone type salesman for Jesus and the church. I, I really wasn't. I was never a proselytizer. I never wanted to like arm twist people into anything. To me, if a person doesn't want to willingly walk along a certain path, I mean, their human dignity uh, should prevail and they should follow the path of their choosing. I just don't think coercion or uh, manipulation is the right approach to anything. Uh, whether it's interpersonal relationships or religion or business or, or politics or anything. I, I just think people need to be free uh, to evaluate information, make choices for themselves about their own personal happiness and the happiness of the people that they love and and act on that. And um, so, I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm going to have a learning curve being a salesperson explicitly, um, but I really believe in the product. I mean, it is just beer. Uh, then again, it's beer. So it's it's important. It's good. It's sort of a, the elixir of, of life in a way. P- good conversations, good friendships uh, develop and, and blossom over, over you know, food and drink. So I'm excited. It's the still the hospitality business, and I'm a big uh, proponent and believer in hospitality. And uh, so anyway, started that job, but it's full-time. Um, you know, normal kind of like, uh, you know, morning to night type job. Some of you may have those. And, uh, I've been looking for one of those for a very long time. And now I have one, which means I have less time to work on my writing and my podcast and everything else, but I'm determined to, to make it work. So, um, slight hiccup this past week. Didn't, uh, didn't get things lined up, had to cancel some interviews because I had to go to my new job and uh, had to interview Galen in the middle of the night, practically, <laughs> in order to get this one in so uh, I could fit it around my work schedule. So I'm, we're going to make it work. In fact, next week's episode is going to be amazing. Um, uh, I'm not even going to tell you who I'm talking to yet. I don't know that you would uh, know her name anyway. She and her husband are um, musicians. They uh, write and perform and travel and perform music. And they live here in Los Angeles. They're going to come by my place. And I can't wait uh, to introduce you uh, to them and their music. It's going to be a really different conversation. We're going to break some new ground for the Life After God podcast. Uh, you know, cross some uh, new new issues uh, related to uh, religion and spirituality and deconversion. Um, some stories that perhaps we haven't heard as many of. So I'm really excited about it. And so stay tuned for that next week. Becca was back in town for about 10 days. She's been working in Honduras uh, during the last part of April, first part of May. And she was back for about 10 days for a wedding and a Beyonce concert. And, you know, of course, to see me, too. And so the last 10 days have been really a whirlwind, too, just spending time catching up with her and uh, helping her accomplish all the things she needed to do while she was here Uh, in Los Angeles for a few days. She's actually back in Honduras now, and I hope uh, actually to uh, record a little conversation with her from there in the next uh, few weeks to give you a sense of what she's up to. Um, But, you know, suffice it to say, in the last 10 days, she was here, and, uh, you know, I've had some, you know, other challenges uh, related to family. And, you know, as I was talking to a friend today, you know, and he reminded me that when, when, when those close to us 
um, suffer uh, and struggle, it's a privilege to be there for them and with them, even when it takes us away from other daily activities that we're used to performing, whether it be work or, you know, things like this podcast. So, um, you know, without getting into too many uh, details, I, you know, life is full. I'm sure your life is full too. Your family is both a joy and a challenge, I'm sure, just like mine. And your job is a joy and a challenge, probably just like mine. So, uh, you know, life is complicated and, you know, we need to give each other uh, grace when it comes to, um, you know, unexpected things that arise. So anyway, that's uh, a long way around to say why uh, I didn't have a show last week. But even though I have this new job, I'm determined to keep the podcast going. I'd originally thought I might go to two episodes a week, an X-Files and um, a Life After God episode. And at this point, it doesn't look like I'm going to have time to do that. So it'll probably alternate uh, week by week. We might have you know, two, three weeks in a row of X-Files and then a Life After God, or it might be the other way around, or it might, you know, alternate every other fairly uh, consistently. I'm not quite sure, but whatever it is, it'll be along the same theme, exploring the space between belief and unbelief, trying to understand people's deconversion experiences. I even got a message today from a guy who was a Christian and then an agnostic and went back to being a Christian. So he's, you know, currently a Christian, and I'm really interested in learning more about him and maybe we'll have him on the show too. So I'm, I'm interested in all of it. I'm interested really in all of these stories uh, about people in religious transition. So stay tuned for some more exciting stuff. If you want to learn more about Life After God, you can go to our website at lifeaftergod.org. You can support us uh, by following us on social media. All the links to our social media are on our website. Our Facebook page is especially active and growing very rapidly. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash our life after God. And, um, and, you know, just, you know, ch- join in the conversation. There's a really vibrant discussion going on there on, on almost daily basis. Uh, so find us on Facebook, join the conversation. Uh, if you want to support us financially, that also helps, um, be able to be more and more consistent. Um, I've, I, you know, I have aspirations of inviting people to support me and help me and be nice to be able to, Give them a little support as I recruit new people. You can support us uh, at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. Check it out. See what you can do. Appreciate all of you who are faithful supporters. I feel bad when I miss a week because I know that not only do you look forward to it, but many of you are supporting this uh, project with your uh, hard-earned income, and I want to be respectful of that. Uh, as always, write to me at ryan at lifeaftergod.org if you have any questions, any suggestions. I just want to tell me your story. I would love to hear from you, ryan at lifeaftergod.org. And as always, thanks so much for carving out this time uh, in your day. I hope it makes your commute a little better, or maybe you're doing the dishes or you know doing other chores around the house while you listen. Uh, appreciate you uh, allowing me to join you in uh, your daily life. And uh, until next week, my name is Ryan Bell, and this has been the Life After God podcast.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.